So prayer. Right? So what is prayer? Right? When we come in here, when we come in, when we go into the morning worship service, are we just praying in the air? As I heard one lady put it uh, in a member interview this past week. Are we just, well, she wasn't saying that. She was contemplating, yeah, like, am I just praying to the air? Like, is God hearing me? Like, just, yeah. But is praying to the air, right? Is that, is that what prayer is? When we come in here and we pray at the end of this, are we just kind of praying and the words are just bouncing off the walls? Right? Is that what prayer is? What exactly is prayer? Think about it. If you had a direct line, say your best friend becomes president of the United States, and they tell you on inauguration day, any time that you want to contact me, any time, this is the number, my personal line, and it's open all the time for intimate conversation, whatever you need. At any point in time, you would be astonished to have a direct line to the president. I just, I'm at the, I'm at the hog game, hog score. I just roll up and I call, you know, I call the president. Any time. I know that may seem a little absurd, but at any time, you can just call him up or her up and have a direct line to them. And yet, how much more, if that's the most powerful person on the face of the planet, how much more for the one who even created the planet, for the one who even created the world, and yet you have that in Christ? That's an astonishing thing. It's astonishing that the God who created all things speaks to us in his word. And yet, it's even more amazing that he actually allows us as sinful people to communicate with him, to speak to him. So he has spoken to us, and we get to speak to him, that he listens to us when we speak. And this morning, we're going to look at those three things, the privilege of prayer, reason for prayer, and the practice of prayer. So first, the the privilege of prayer. What exactly is it? Prayer is experienced globally. It's experienced globally. It's not just unique to Christian culture. Prayer is unique to all human cultures. And that's not to say that everyone prays. That's not what I'm saying. But in every human culture throughout the world, you find people who are praying. They're involved. Most people are involved at some point in their lives in praying. Think about Muslims. Muslims pray five times a day. Jews pray three times a day. Buddhists have prayer wheels where they cast up their prayers into the air so as to unite the spiritual and the physical realm with the goal, with the desire that suffering would be relieved in the world. All different kinds of religions, all human cultures, they pray. Not everyone, but the cultures themselves, they pray. And so although prayer is global, that doesn't mean that we all understand prayer in the exact same way. I mean, clearly, as examples I just gave you, right, we have a very different understanding of prayer. But the fact that it's experienced globally should not surprise us. This is not surprising. If you go back to Genesis 1, 26 through 27, God has created all human beings in his image. That means we reflect the very character of God. We reflect uh, who God is. He has created us to relate to him and reflect his image throughout the world. We see that in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Paul says in Romans 1, 19 through 20, we all have a sense of the knowledge that God exists. We all do. We have a sense of the knowledge that God exists. And if something goes haywire, it is a natural human instinct for someone to cry out to their understanding of who God is in help. And so prayer is a global phenomenon. I think, uh, as Tim Keller puts it, prayer is a personal response to the knowledge of God. If you were just to put it very broadly, prayer is a personal response 
to the knowledge of God, just in a broad way. However, what differentiates true Christian prayer from other forms of prayer is seen in who we know this God to be. That's what differentiates it. It's that knowledge of God. Well, who do we know God to be? And then we're going to find the distinction there uh, between how we understand prayer and other cultures understand prayer. For Christians, we come to know God by his word of the gospel, awakening us to faith in Christ. That's how we come to know God. And so no longer, right, we're actually, as, as, one, uh, as one old theologian says, is that prayer is the exercise of our faith. It's the chief exercise of our faith. And so no longer do we have just kind of this vague sense of God as a creator, like according to Romans 1, we just know that he exists and we have this vague sense of God. Instead, now we can know God as Father through faith in Christ by his Spirit. We can know him as Father. Paul says in Galatians 4, 5 through 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And you see every person of the Trinity right here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you see all at work in this. Because you are sons, God the Father has sent God the Spirit, the Spirit of his Son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So prayer is a privilege. It's a privilege because the God of the universe has initiated a conversation with us in his word. And we have the privilege of being able to continue that conversation. That line is open at any time. And we have the privilege to be able to continue that conversation with him. This conversation is personal, it's intimate, and it's relational. And so prayer is a personal response to a personal God. God has stooped down and bent his ear to when you cry to him. He's bent his ear to your prayer. And like any conversation, any conversation that you have, it would be utterly rude if a person was just talking and you just sat there and didn't talk back. That would be rude. And yet we're continuing that conversation in prayer. And that's what prayerlessness is. It's, prayerlessness is not responding to God when God has responded to us, to us. And so a prayerless life is one that perpetually stops this God-initiated conversation. So God has communicated to us in his word so that we may have intimate fellowship with him in prayer. But how do we define biblical prayer? How do we do this? So I want to take, part of what I wanted to do was, I want to take this old dead theologian, I want to take Tim Keller's understanding of prayer, his broad understanding, and this old dead theologian's understanding, very very narrow understanding of prayer. I want to combine those. You have it on your handout there. I think this is a good definition for what biblical prayer is. Prayer is the expression of our faith. It's the expression of our faith in response to the knowledge of God. Because God is already, he is the one who has initiated with us. He has already spoken to us in his word. And so prayer is really just the expression of our faith in response to God's knowledge, to the knowledge of God that he has given to us in his word. And if prayer is the expression of faith in response to the knowledge of God, and since God is a trinity, that is three distinct persons who are fully God, and yet they are one being, they have one nature. If that is true, then our prayers ought to be what we call Trinitarian. I know that's a big word, but you get, you get it. Right? Having the Father, Son, and the Spirit. So prayer is Trinitarian. And so we first start off with God the Father. He is the source of all prayer. 
God the Father, the source of all prayer. Jesus teaches his disciples uh, to pray this way in Matthew 6, verse 9. We're going to look at this more next week. Our Father in heaven. That's how he begins, right there. Our Father in heaven. And so the typical pattern of prayer in the New Testament is to pray to the Father. Now, this is not to say that if you pray to Jesus or the Holy Spirit that your prayers go unanswered. But it is to say that the typical pattern of prayer laid out in the New Testament is to pray to the Father through the Spirit in the name of the Son. That's the typical pattern that we see throughout the New Testament. And the first thing that we need to understand is that you've, if, when you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins, you now have access to God through Christ. And if you have access to God, then God is now your father. He's not just a father. God is now your father. And think about that. That intimate relationship with the father who has concern for his child, right? The good father, okay? Many of us, right? Maybe you didn't have a father growing up. Maybe for some of you, your father was not a role model by any stretch. And yet scripture teaches us that our heavenly father is always good and always gives good gifts to his children. Jesus tells us this in Luke 11, 11 through 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Some interesting, interesting uh, illustrations here. Egg, scorpion, fish, and serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So as a parent, it's hard to believe. It is hard to believe that anyone could love my daughter more than I could. And yet, God the Father does. He does. And He loves you more than you have ever dreamed or could imagine. And we enjoy the Father by praying to him as our Father. And so when you're praying, think of God like you're, you're coming to a person. You're praying to the Father. That's what you're doing. You're not just in this kind of just spiritual just exercise where you've got kind of all these like little patterns. I've got, okay, I've said this right, and I've done this right, and then, okay, now it's legit. You know? You're coming to him. Think of him as a person. You're coming to him as a person that you're about to have an intimate conversation with, and you're praying to him as a father one who cares about you, one who wants to hear from, from you and enter into that conversation. So how are you viewing God? How do you view God? Do you view him as only as a Lord and judge? That is God without Christ. He's just a Lord and he is judge. Do you only view him that way? As if he doesn't actually hear from you, a sinner. Because of my sin, God doesn't hear me. How do, you, how do you conceive of God? How are you thinking about God? Or do you view him as having his arms wide open, ready to embrace you when you come to him in prayer, knowing that that channel is open? When you pray, focus on praying to God as Father, your Father. Okay, so on what basis do we as sinful people come to a holy God in prayer? Like, what basis do we have to just roll up into the throne room of God offering prayers? What basis do we have? God the Son, the basis of all prayer. So when we meet God in prayer, it's always through a mediator. 
And this mediator is Jesus, the Son of God. So Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So notice three things in Scripture that we, uh, in order for us to be able to have confidence in drawing near to God. Number one, Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is your high priest. He has sacrificed himself in order to grant you access in a relationship with the Father in order to grant you that access to a relationship with the Father. And so we can only come to the Father pleading for more grace because Jesus is our high priest. There is one mediator between God and man, and it is the person Jesus Christ. He is our high priest. Number two, the acceptance that Jesus has with the Father is the acceptance that we now have with the Father. So for those of you who have turned from your sin and have trusted in Christ, you are now accepted before God because Christ is acceptable before God. So that when God looks at you, he sees you as having Christ's perfect righteousness, his record in your place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says the same thing. For our sake he made him, that is Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the essence of what we call it. We talked about the past couple of weeks. Justification by faith alone. Being accepted before God by faith alone in Christ alone. Number three, if God, and all this is still under point number one. Just drawing some, some understandings from Hebrews 4. Number three, the God, if God hears the prayers of Jesus, he will also hear our prayers through faith. If he hears the prayers of Jesus, he's also going to hear our prayers through faith. Or sorry, through Jesus. My bad. So Jesus consistently intercedes for us. Hebrews 7, 25. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Because he always lives to make intercession for them. If God hears the prayers of Jesus, then he hears your prayers in the name of Jesus. This is why he says in John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So praying in Jesus' name. Right? Often you'll hear that at the very end of prayers, praying in Jesus' name. What exactly are we talking about? This is not just some little add-on, right, that you can just kind of tack on at the end as if it's just a throwaway verse. Right? You've got all your stuff with prayer, and then oh, in order to make this effective, I just need to throw in Jesus' name on the end of that. It's not just an add-on phrase. When we pray in Jesus' name, we're saying to the Father that we're coming on the basis of Christ's work, on the basis of his life, his death, his resurrection, and his intercession into the throne room of God. That's what we're saying. We're not coming on our own name and on our own merit before God and offering it up to God. Instead, we're coming in the name of Jesus as one author put it, the Son gives us his name to pray. The Son gives us his name to pray in so that we pray as him before the Father. 
So we've now been brought in to enjoy that father-son relationship. That's what's happening. So we can't come before God in prayer outside of faith in Christ. The son has brought us before the father. He intercedes for us. God hears our prayers because he hears the prayer of his son on our behalf. when We're praying in his name. But what about the role of the Holy Spirit? Next thing, God the Spirit, the enabling of all prayer. God the Spirit, the enabling of all prayer. The first way that the Holy Spirit empowers us to pray is by drawing us to saving faith in Christ. In John chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. The second way that the Holy Spirit empowers us to pray is by assuring us of our adoption in Christ. So, he draws us to saving faith in Christ, and then the Spirit assures us of our adoption in Christ. He is the inner witness within us that we are a child of God. Romans eight sixteen says, that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Also, if you want another verse, you can write this down, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. You can check that out a little bit later. Lastly, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us before the Father. He intercedes for us. In Romans 8, 26 through 27, Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he also searches our hearts, right? And he who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Notice, the Spirit Spirit intercedes for the will of the saints, or for the Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. What do we know to be the will of God? The Word of God, the Bible. Word of God is the will of God. And so we can take great courage knowing uh, the fact that we have access to God, the Father, through the mediation of God, His Son, and that the Holy Spirit draws us to faith in Christ, assures us of our salvation, and intercedes for us and helps us to pray when we don't know how to pray. So the Holy Spirit puts a cry in our heart and prayer can be thought of as our crying out to God. And so we, pre- we see that prayer is spirit-given. But prayer is God speaking through us to himself. Prayer is God speaking now through us to himself. And so we've looked at what prayer is, but why do we do it? We've looked at what prayer is, why do we pray? So the reason for prayer. I want to give you five quick things. I want us to open up our Bibles. This is going to be interacting here. Open up your Bibles. I want you reading scripture that I give to you. That's right. We're waking up now. Trey was boring, monotone voice. Now we're about to have a dialogue. Let's go ahead and open up your Bibles. It's not like Ignatius, the youth minister, who tells you to put your Bible underneath your seat. That's right. I did. I did, yeah. It's very nice. Instead, we want to open our Bibles so that the Word of God (laughs) can be unleashed. Okay, number one, number one reason for prayer, we pray 
in order to obey God. Very simple. We pray in order to obey God. I'll read the first one. And I want somebody to look up 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Just raise your hand very quickly. Jake, got it. 1 Timothy 2.1. And be ready to, to, okay, Chase, be ready to uh, read whenever I call on you. Matthew 6.9. Jesus says, pray then like this. Okay. Very simple. Jesus commands us to pray. We are to obey God. Right? Prayer, we pray in order to obey God. 1 Thess 5.17. Pray without ceasing. Long verse right there. Pray without ceasing. It's probably not all of it, but pray without ceasing. Literally, pray without lapse. That's what that means. Praying without lapse. So prayer should be embedded as a reflex in our lives. It's not only an event, but it's a mode of existence. That's what it is. It's about maintaining an open channel to God by way of, a cons- of consistently vertical, like, heart state, state of our heart to God. It's a mode of existence. 1 Timothy 2, 1. Okay, we're commanded to pray. We pray in order to obey God. We pray for all people. Notice, supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings, all these kinds of things are going to be in our prayers, as we're going to talk about at the very end in the practice of prayer when you learn how to pray Scripture. Number two, pray in order to please God. So we pray not only to obey God, we pray to please God. Who's got Revelation 5.18, which is, or sorry, 5.8. Revelation 5.8, which is a glorious verse. Okay, uh, in a minute. Who's got Proverbs 15.8? All right, Josh. Proverbs 15.8. Okay, so Joshua Pierce, you go ahead. So our prayers are like incense before God. This is fascinating. Our prayers are like incense before God. They're like a fragrant aroma up in the nostril of God. That's what they are. And yet what's fascinating about it, what's fascinating about it is if you go to the next line, what does he do? He lights those prayers on fire and then he unleashes them on the earth. He lights those prayers on fire. Oh, that's good. That's good. So he lights those prayers, literally lights those prayers. Well, yeah, figuratively. He lights those prayers on fire and then pours them out on the earth, accomplishing his will, bringing in his kingdom. It is victory, right? This is revelation. This is victory at the end. All those prayers being poured out on the earth. So we pray in order to please God. As one author put it, you want to create a good smell. Do you want to create a good smell in the kitchen of God? Then pray. There you go. That's John Piper for you, right there. Proverbs fifteen eight, Josh. Okay. God delights in the prayer and the prayers of the upright, because when He sees us, He sees His Son in our place with whom he is well pleased. God delights in the prayers of the upright. So pray in order to please God. Number three, pray in order to know God. Psalm 27, 4, who's got it? Okay. And then also Ephesians 1, 17, who's got it? 
Jake again. All right, racking up those bonus points with the Lord. Psalm 27.4. Kyle. So David's praying in order to know the Lord and to dwell with him in his beauty forever. That's his prayer. He wants to dwell with the Lord. He wants to dwell in his presence. He wants to know God intimately. And that's what we're doing when we come to the Lord in prayer. We're coming in awe of the God who has stooped his ear down and bent his ear to hear us. And we're coming wanting intimacy with the Lord, that deepening of that fellowship with the Lord. Ephesians 1.17, Holy Jake. So we pray in order to know God, not only for ourselves, but as Paul right here, he is praying also that even the Ephesians, we pray that others uh, would know the Lord, would grow in a deeper knowledge of him. Number four, pray in order to love others. So hmm, uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 4, who's got it? Lane, Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, big boy, Brock. All right. We'll start there in a sec. And then, uh, yeah. So we get the second greatest commandment. Number four, pray in order to love others. Second greatest commandment right here. Prayer is one of those basic ways to love your neighbor. Have you ever thought about that? Prayer is how you can love your neighbor well. When you're praying for them, you're loving them well. So Paul is a model of this. 1 Corinthians 1.4. So we see Paul is a model of this. And I could have gone through, I mean, just the intro of all of Paul's letters. Same thing, over and over and over and over and over again. And I could have gone through all those, but I want to spare you the time. Loving the lost by praying for boldness and clarity in evangelism. We love the lost by praying for boldness and clarity in evangelism. Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. And then in Colossians 4, 3 through 4, um, Paul is asking that he would speak clearly, that he would be clear with the gospel as well. So he prays for boldness, and he also is praying for clarity. So if you're praying for your witness to others, we pray that God would give us boldness, that he would help us to be clear with the gospel. That's a way that we can love others, is being bold to actually share the gospel with them and being clear in our understanding of the gospel and how we're sharing it with them. If you don't know that gospel message, um, as a believer, like if you don't, if you haven't really studied it, I know that you know it as a believer, uh, but if you haven't uh, studied it in depth and you don't maybe know how exactly you would share that, talk to one of us. We would love to help you understand the gospel uh, in a simple way so that you can be able to share it with those around you. And then lastly, love the lost by praying for them. In 1 Timothy 2.1, we just read it a minute ago. Um, Paul tells us to pray for all people. We love the lost by praying for them. I love what Spurgeon once said, that old dead Baptist preacher in the 19th century. He's like one of the greatest preachers of all time. Freak. Just insane. He says this. If sinners be damned, 
at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. That's serious. Prayer is laying hold of a sovereign father and reverently refusing to let go. Number five, pray in order to glorify God. Pray in order to glorify God. John 14, 13. Who's got it? Pierce, ooh, Pierce, whoa, look at that. You guys are quick. John 14, 13. Yeah, we'll stay at that. We'll keep it at that. So the Father is glorified in the Son when we pray in Jesus' name. Very simple. God is glorified when you pray to him. We are coming to God not in self-dependence or self-sufficiency, but rather in God-dependence. That's what we're doing. We are coming dependently upon the Lord. We're coming humbly before the Lord, seeking to glorify God and not build our own kingdom. Prayer is the ultimate acknowledgement that God is God and that we are not. It's the recognition of his greatness our dependence. And this ought to lead us to ask big things of God. We want God to be glorified, then we ought to be asking big things of God. It honors and glorifies God to ask big things of him. One time, Alexander the Great had a general whose daughter was getting married. Speaking about Alexander the Great here. He had a general whose daughter was getting married, and Alexander, uh, Alexander valued this soldier greatly, and he offered to pay for the wedding. Of this soldier's daughter. When the general gave Alexander Stewart, uh, Alexander Stewart the bill, it was absolutely enormous. It was huge. And the steward came to Alexander and named the sum. And to his surprise, Alexander smiled. And he said, pay it. Don't you see, by asking me for such an enormous sum, he does me great honor. He shows that he believes that I, his king, am both rich and generous. Do you see your father as rich and generous? You want to glorify him, and we need to pray big things of God. He is able to accomplish more above and beyond what we ever ask or think. He's able to do that. We need to go to him asking big things. All right, so let's learn how to do that. Point three. So we know that uh, prayer is the expression of our faith in response to the knowledge of God. And that meant that we needed to know who this God is as a trinity. Well, if that's the case, then we, know, we need to know how to pray scripture, which is the very will of God. If we want God's will to be done, as we're going to learn about next week, we need to know how to pray scripture, which is the word of God and is the will of God. So if prayer is the expression of our faith, and faith comes from hearing the word, and the word of God is the gospel, then it only makes sense that scripture and prayer go together, because the gospel gives birth to both. That's why we pray Scripture. We pray Scripture because when we pray God's Word, we're praying according to His will. All right, so what I want to do, what I want to do right here is just very simple. I just want to teach us how to pray Scripture. I want to give us a way to be able to do that. And so first, when we do this, we've got to pick a passage, and we need to read it a couple of times. You've got to read it a couple of times so that you can actually meditate on it. And what I'm doing right here is I'm setting you up for a solid QT, quiet time, 
with the Lord in the morning. That's what I'm doing. I'm just showing you, like, if you only had 10 minutes, what could this thing look like? This is it, I think. So pick a passage, read it a couple times. Understand, I'm not saying this is the only way. I'm just saying this is one way, and it's a helpful way. Number two, after you read that passage a couple times, meditate on that passage. As one uh, old dead Puritan once put it, what we take in, what we take in by the word, we digest by meditation, and then we let it out by prayer. I think that's good. We take it in, we digest it, and then we let it out by prayer. Not saying that prayer is a belch, but, yeah. So, how do we do this? How do we do this? Uh, I, think you've got an, I think you've got there on your handout, uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So this is a good just kind of format for how to uh, focus your mind whenever you're reading the word, and then how to take that word and think through the text of what you can praise God for. So adoration. What in the text can we praise God for? And we're going to do this in a minute. I'm going to show you how to do it, and then you're going to go over to those discussion groups, and you've already got your own uh, passage that you're going to go through and pray through. So adoration. When we get this text, we want to ask, what in this text can we praise God for? What can we praise God for from this text? And we're sitting there reading the text. We're mulling over it. We're meditating on it and thinking through what we can praise God for. Next, confession. We want to ask what sin that we need to confess from the text. Ask what sin that you need to confess from the text. Thanksgiving, third, thanksgiving. Ask what you can thank God for from this passage. Ask what you can thank God for from this passage. And then what is called supplication. That is asking, for, uh, asking God for things to give him glory. Right? When we come to God, and I'm going to talk more about this next week. When we come to God, we're not just coming to God to get things. We're coming to God to get God. That's what we're doing. And so asking God for things to give him glory. So ask what you can pray for yourself. This is all the other things, right? Healing for your mother, you know, like whatever it may be from the text itself. We're praying for other people. This is why it's super helpful. Having a member directory. If you are a member, you need to have a member directory and be praying through this thing. It's a helpful, easy tool for you to be able to focus your time in prayer on praying for the body of Christ. That would be the supplication section right here. And so we want to ask what we can pray for ourselves, for others, for family members, for people around the world, for other ethnicities. That's what we're asking in that supplication section. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. The ACTS prayer acronym. That's all that that is. Very simple. An exam- and we see this often uh, in Scripture, where you see the combining of these things throughout. And you can see that Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, verse 5. I'm not going to go there because I want to get to the example. All right, Matthew 19, 16 through 22. The par- or, sorry, the parable. The story of the rich young ruler. The reason I'm doing this one is because this week in our Bible studies, that's what we're going to be focusing on. That's the passage that we're looking at. And so I just want you, I want to show you how we can get in to Matthew 19, 16 through 22, and just think through adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And so we're going to read through it twice, and then my closing prayer is going to, bre- is going to be that Acts prayer acronym. All right? So I need two people to read this passage. 
at different times, one after the other. All right, Brandon, who else? All right, Garrett. So, Brandon, we'll start with you. Garrett, we'll go with you next. And then I'm going to ask you adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Just very quick, be thinking about it as you're reading these these four things. And then I'm going to show you how to pray that. All right. Verse 16, go through verse 22. Right after you. All right, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. What can we praise God for in this text, quickly? Say it again, loudly. Okay, good, knowing our heart, that's good, yeah. We can praise, yeah, praise God for that. Go ahead, Ben. Only one who is good, okay, good, right? You got the who and the what, that's important. Got to make that distinction. Uh, What else? Lane? Okay, call him a teacher. We can praise God that he is a teacher. He teaches us. He what? Aligns with scripture. Good. Yeah. All right, what about confession? What can we confess? What sin do we find (laughs) that we commit as well, kind of like the rich young ruler? What sins do we even have that we can confess to the Lord? Materialism, good. Anything else? Yep, Chandler. Yeah, loving your enemies as yourself type of thing. Yeah, okay. Anything else that we can confess? Good, yep, great. All right, what about Thanksgiving? What can we thank God for? eternal life. Keep going. There you go, right? We can thank God for that. So after your confession, you want to thank God. You don't just want to end with confession like, I'm an awful, sinful human being, right? If you're in Christ, but you want to acknowledge and thank God that you have been saved, and he has given you eternal life, and that your sins are forgiven. 
You want to acknowledge that. You want to thank God for that. Supplication. What can we pray for ourselves? What can we pray for others? What can we pray for family members? What can we pray for people in the member directory? Okay, good. Hold on to things loosely. Yep. What else? Say that again. More of an eternal focus. Okay. Okay. So treasure Christ, not the things of this world. What else? Maybe one more. Rachel Joseph. Rest in the finished work of Christ. Good. That's good. All those are great ways, right? So you basically just got in the Word, and that right there was like five minutes. You just got in the Word. You read it twice. You meditated upon it. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I'm not saying we dug deep into everything that could have been gotten out of that. But you, you had your own time in the Word right there, and now you're ready to pray Scripture. So let's do that. I'm going to pray to close us out. And then we're going to go to discussion groups over there. And then you're going to go through Psalm 1. So discussion group leaders, you're just going to, you're going to read through that. Uh, the group's going to read through that twice. And then uh, you're going to ask this. You're going to do the exact same thing that we're doing right here. And then a couple people that want to pray, they can pray through those very things. Okay. All right, let me pray for us. Father, we praise you that eternal life is not gained by the work of my own hands. It's not gained uh, by having a certain amount of possessions. But Lord, that eternal life is gained in a person, and that's Jesus Christ. We praise you for that. Father, we confess that so often we think that we can have favor with you by how well we're doing in our spiritual lives. Whether it be prayer, whether it be Uh, time in the word, if we think that we had a rich time in prayer, we had a rich time in the word, we think that somehow you've looked upon us more favorably because of that time. And so, Lord, we confess that our hearts are far from you as if your favor could be won by something that we have done. Father, we confess this, and then we thank you, Father. We thank you that eternal life and acceptance with you has been won through the perfect work of Christ on our behalf. Only you could have accomplished that work. What is impossible with man is possible with you. And we thank you for that. Father, we pray, uh, I pray for everyone in here, uh, Lord, that they would know that truth. That eternal life is not earned or achieved, but rather is received in Christ. So, Lord, I pray that by your grace and your mercy, that if anyone is not a believer in here, that you would open the eyes of their heart to the knowledge of your glory in the face of your Son. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.